Hi, listeners, and welcome to the True Crime Weekly Podcast, a podcast that is based in San Diego and hosted by me, Alina Trujillo, and my producer, Jose Fernandez. This is a podcast where I will be bringing you stories of murders, infamous cases, and unsolved mysteries. This week, I'm going to tell you about a serial killer that would abduct his victims, torture them, and then he would turn them loose in the woods so that he can hunt them like animals. This serial killer gave a true meaning to the term hunting for humans. This is the story of Robert Hansen, the butcher baker. Robert Hansen was the son of two Danish immigrants who owned a bakery. Robert had a difficult relationship with his father since his father was very strict with him and would often force him to work long hours at the family bakery, which doesn't sound that bad to me. Can you imagine? Oh, it smells so nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so growing up, Robert was a loner type of kid, someone who would often get made fun out of due to his stutter and due to the severe acne that he had on his face. So after graduating high school in 1957, Robert enlisted in the Army Reserve where he served for a year and then later he got discharged. After being discharged from the Army Reserve, Robert became a drill sergeant at a police department in Pocahontas, Iowa. It would be in Pocahontas, Iowa where Robert would fall in love with a young girl and he would marry her in the summer of 1960. Okay, so get this. On December 7th, 1960, Robert burned down the school bus garage of the local high school, but was caught when a friend turned him in. Robert was found guilty and was sentenced to three years in prison, but after only serving 20 months, Robert was paroled. Why would he, what was the purpose of doing that? Do you know, or was it just like mischief? No, this all had to do with how he used to get picked oh, growing up. Like picked on? Mm-hmm. So while he was incarcerated, Robert was diagnosed with bipolar disorder with periodic schizophrenic episodes. The psychiatrist who made the diagnosis noted that Robert had an infantile personality. He was obsessed with getting back at people who he felt had wronged him, hence the burning of the school bus. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So during the same time, Robert's wife filed for divorce. Over the next few years, Robert would be arrested several other times for petty theft. In 1967, he moved to Anchorage, Alaska with his second wife, whom he had married in 1963, and with whom he had two children. So in Anchorage, he was well-liked by his neighbors and set several local hunting records. And in December of 1972, Robert was arrested twice. Once for the abduction and attempted rape of a housewife, and again for raping a sex worker. What? That's really serious. Mm-hmm. So Robert pleaded no contest to assault with a deadly weapon in the offense involving the housewife. And the rape charge involving the sex worker was dropped as part of a plea bargain. Really? Mm-hmm. So Robert was sentenced to five years in prison after serving six months of his sentence. He was placed on a work release program and released to a halfway house. Are you kidding me? Mm-mm. So then, in 1976, Robert pleaded guilty to larceny after he was caught stealing a chainsaw from an Anchorage department store. He was sentenced to five years in prison and required to receive psychiatric treatment for his bipolar disorder. And he was prescribed lithium to control his mood swings. 
So it seems like this time they're addressing, you know, his mental illness, which is a good thing because it's like, okay, now we need to control this. But he was never officially ordered to take the medication. And once again, he was released from prison after serving a year. Are you kidding? Like, Mm-mm. this guy's getting off so... Well, the last crime was, was a very violent offense, both of mm-hmm. them. Yeah. And it was, okay, no big deal. And then the second one, oh, yeah, you're getting five years for stealing a chainsaw. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. That doesn't really add up. Maybe yeah. it's like a combination of, okay, like, these things keep on happening and escalating. Right. right. But, again... Yeah. Like a short sentence and he's good. So by then, the father of two children opened a bakery after his release. In 1983, more than a decade after Robert moved to Anchorage, a 17-year-old girl named Cindy Paulson was found running frantically down a road barefoot and handcuffed. What you got there, Jose? I just opened an ice-cold beer from Beer the Month Club. Treat yourself or someone special to great beers month after month by joining the Craft Beer of the Month Club. Each monthly shipment contains a 12-pack with four different types of rare craft beer, hand-selected from small American craft breweries. We are a proud affiliate, which means if you go to truecrimeweeklypodcast.com forward slash support the show, click on the Craft Beer of the Month Club link and sign up, we will earn commission. Stay home and keep cool with an ice-cold beer. Cheers, Jose. If you're a local San Diego listener and are looking for a dog trainer, do what I did when I got my dream dog, Cosmo. I contacted Xavier the Dog Saver after I read that he was a behavioral development specialist with over 14 years of experience. I like that his mission is to help humans connect and communicate with their pets, to lower the possibility of your pet ever seeing the inside of a dog pound, a shelter, or maybe even worse. I have to tell you guys, my new puppy is an old English sheepdog and he is hard-headed. I didn't think that I would be able to find someone to help me, but then when I contacted a saver, he came along and let me just tell you guys, he works with all dogs of all breeds and sizes and ages and he has not met a dog that he hasn't been able to effectively train. Contact Xavier via phone call or text at 619-799-7114 and use promo code COSMO and Xavier will hook you up. On June 13, 1983, Robert offered a 17-year-old sex worker, Cindy Paulson, $200 to perform oral sex. When she got into the car, he pulled out a gun and drove her to his home in Muldoon. There, he held her captive and proceeded to torture and rape her. She later told police that after Robert chained her by the neck to a post in the house's basement, he took a nap on a nearby couch. Probably exhausting. Oh my god. When he awoke, he put her in his car and took her to Merrowfield Airport, where he told her that he intended to take her out to his cabin. So... Cindy crouched in the back seat of the car with her wrist cuffed in front of her. And when Robert was busy loading the airplane cockpit, Cindy saw it was her chance to escape. Okay, so while Robert's back was turned, Cindy crawled out of the back seat 
opened the driver's side door and ran towards a nearby street. Wow. Yeah. Brave. <laughs> so Robert panicked and chased her. But Cindy made it to the street first and managed to flag down a passing truck. Which I have to say, I'm always like, I guess like horror movie mode. Because I'm mm-hmm. always like, can you imagine? Like, what if that happens? Like, I always think about like, okay, if I was in a situation like that, hell yeah, I would escape. You know, I would make my attempt. But then... I would be so afraid to flag down a car because after like what I had just been put through, like I would fear that like I I, I don't know, like maybe I wouldn't trust people. So then it's like, what if I flag down the car and then like they take me right back to where I was? It's a like a worse serial killer or something. Oh like my come on. God. <laughs> I don't know, but yeah. The driver of the truck was immediately obviously alarmed by Cindy's disheveled appearance stopped and he picked her up good yeah like my hero because can you imagine would you i mean really think about this if you were just driving down the road and some girl is trying to wave you down would you really stop i don't know like I've it depends always on I- like how fast i'm going it may even like paying attention like is it like an after the fact thing? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I really don't know. I just, you I think always, that you would, but I guess it comes down to the situation and like what actually happens. Yeah. Yeah. Because I feel like a lot of people would be scared to stop. You know, I feel like there's a lot of us out there that it's like, oh, just don't get yourself involved. Yeah. You know? So mm-hmm. I feel like this truck driver, my gosh, such an angel, you know, like. No, I don't know that there would be a lot of people that would stop. I would hope that there would be, but, you know? Yeah, and also, I think it also depends on, like, how rural the area is, too. Remember, like, the idea of, I'd rather not get involved, don't worry about it, somebody else will help her. Mm-hmm. Because if it's, like, here in, like, say, here in San Diego, there's so much traffic mm-hmm. that you can easily just say... Oh, somebody else will take care of it. Already no, but you it. can't say that, Jose. You no, have you to can't. Say- oh, I'm just okay. telling you. I'm not saying that I would do that. I think I would actually stop, right? Yeah. But you see things happen, like in other situations, and it's kind of like the idea of hey, you hear somebody screaming, and you don't call 911, mm-hmm. right? Oh, somebody else like we'll what do or, it. Well, yeah. yeah. Or even if that doesn't come to mind, it's like, oh, it stopped. Okay. Mm-hmm. Hopefully that person's okay. Yeah. And that's it. <laughs> you oh. know. So that mentality, you hear that often. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So after he picks her up, he drove her to Mush Inn, where she jumped out of the truck and ran inside. Well, she pleaded with the clerk to let her borrow the phone so that she could call her boyfriend at the Big Timber Motel. The truck driver continued on to work, where he then called police to report the barefoot handcuffed woman. So he was like... Bye. Like, I did my job. I dropped you off. Peace. Left. But then still, you know, called 911 himself. Like, probably the good thing, the right thing to do because you don't know what type of situation that is. Yeah. So, when Anchorage Police Department officers arrived at the Mush Inn, they were told that the young woman had taken a cab to the Big Timber Motel. Mm -hmm. So, Anchorage Police Department officers arrived at the Big Timber Motel and found Cindy. Still handcuffed and alone. That's so horrible. Yeah. So she told the police officers what happened to her. She described her attacker and the hours of torture that she had just been put through. Cindy was able to 
tell them exactly where the house was where she had been held captive. She even described the inside of the house. She described the gun he had pulled out on her, and she told police that she had left her, get this, blue sneakers on the passenger side floor of the sedan's back seat as evidence that she had been in the car. So, I mean, can you imagine? She's just, she's a badass. I don't know that I'd be able to think that fast and to say, let me leave this piece of evidence in case that nobody believes me. Now, think about it. She was a sex worker. Mm-hmm. How many times have we done these stories where police officers just dismiss them because what they do for a living? Absolutely. It happens often, so often that I'm just waiting for you to tell me that that's what happened here. Get this. When officers asked her to come down to the police station, Cindy agrees. And while they're driving to the police station, Cindy leads police officers to the airport so that she can show them the airplane that she was about to get on. Yeah, right. When she With her abductor. Like, this girl, like, my gosh. You know, leaving a piece of evidence, thinking of all this. And then, oh, by the way, on our way down to the police station, can we, you know, take a left here? Let me show you. Yeah. Like, I, I think most people would be probably scared to even go back, even yes! when they're protected by the police, mm-hmm. right? Right. I know. I'm telling you. She's a badass. When they arrive at the airport, airport security is able to tell police officers the license plate of the car that they had seen in in that spot where she said that they were at. Mm-hmm. When police officers run the plates, it comes back as the plane belonging to Robert Hansen. When questioned by the Anchorage police officers, Robert denied the accusation, stating that Cindy was just trying to cause, you know, trouble for him because he wouldn't pay her extortion demands. Because yeah, remember, this is a baker, a mm-hmm. local baker, and everybody knows him and he's a nice guy oh okay so that's what he's trying to lean on then right so he's like oh no she's just causing trouble like you know she was trying to force me to pay her you know what i mean like so although robert had several prior run-ins with the law remember police officers found it hard to believe that the local baker where get this all of the police officers the local police officers they all met at Robert's Bakery for Donuts. Like, that that was, like, their meeting spot. Really? Yeah. So, this family man, like, they just couldn't fathom how a family man like this could do such an awful thing. Yeah. So Police they- officers right away, they're like, we know him. You know, he owns the bakery. We go there all the time. He's a clean guy. Yeah. Can't be him. So, Robert was also able to provide police officers with an alibi. Robert told officers that his family was away on vacation and that he was hanging out with a friend. And when officers questioned that friend, he was able to confirm Robert's alibi. So because of this alibi, officers didn't consider him a suspect and the case went cold. Really? Mm-hmm. So Detective Glenn Floth of the Alaska State Troopers had been part of a team investigating the discovery of several bodies in and around Anchorage, Seward, and the Matanuska Susitna Valley area. And the first of the bodies was found by a construction worker near Eglutna Road. The body had been given the nickname 
Eglutna Annie by investigators, and that body has never been identified. Later that year, the body of Joanna Messina was discovered in a gravel pit near Seaward, and in 1982, the remains of 23-year-old Sherry Morrow were also discovered in a shallow grave near the Nick River. Detective Glenn Floth now had three bodies, and he started to think that they were looking for a serial killer. So Detective Glenn Floth contacted FBI Special Agent John Douglas and requested his help with a criminal psychological profile based on the three recovered bodies. So John Douglas thought the killer would be an experienced hunter with low self-esteem, have a history of being rejected by women, and would feel compelled to keep souvenirs of his murders, such as a victim's jewelry. Okay, that's all okay. very, very specific. Like, Well, that this is his job. <laughs> this is the FBI we're talking about. But tell me that this does not sound like Robert. Being yeah, rejected by women... The hunter. Low self-esteem. Exactly. The hunt. Everything now is falling into pieces, right? You know what it sounds like? Hmm. It sounds like he saw Silence of the Lambs mm-hmm. and is profiling to somebody like Buffalo Bill. <laughs> but hey, guess what? He's spot on, which is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so he also suggested that the assailant might stutter. Dang. Yes. How do like, you, how do you, how do you get that? that? That's amazing to me. I'm like, teach me. <laughs> Like, can you, like, just, oh, based on, you know, crime scene photos and, you know, evidence and all, how they can get How that? do you get stuttering from a crime scene? Right? I want to be taught. I think this guy just got Teach lucky. me. I'm just kidding. I don't know. That's crazy. That, mm-hmm. That's some skill right there or some just crazy luck. Right. So, using this profile, Detective Glenn Floth investigated possible suspects until he came across Robert Hansen who fit the profile, and he owned a plane. So between Cindy's testimony and John Douglas' profile, Detective Glenn Floth and the Anchorage Police Department secured a warrant to search Robert Hansen's plane, vehicles, and home. And on October 27, 1983, investigators uncovered jewelry belonging to some of the missing women as well an array of firearms in a corner hideaway of robert's attic so get this when they were doing the search they also found a aviation map with little x's marked on it hidden behind robert's headboard and many of these marks Matched sites where prior bodies had been found. No way. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So when confronted with the evidence found in his home, Robert denied it as long as he could. But he eventually began to blame the women and tried to justify his actions. Extortion. They're all against him. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So eventually confessing to each item of evidence... As it was presented to him, he admitted to a spree of attacks against Alaska women starting in 1971. Robert's earliest victims were young women, usually between 16 and 19, and not sex workers, unlike the victim who led to his discovery, okay? Mm -hmm. So, Robert is known to have raped and assaulted over 30 Alaskan women. 30? 
30 and have murdered at least 17, ranging from age of 16 to 41. Of these 17 women, Robert was only formally charged with the murders of four. Sherry Morrow, Joanna Messina, the John Doe, Eglutna Annie, and Paula Golding. He was also charged with the kidnapping and rape of Cindy Paulson. Okay, so once arrested, Robert was charged with assault, kidnapping, multiple weapon offenses, theft, and insurance fraud. Robert claimed his innocence until ballistics tests returned as a match between bullets found at the crime scene and Robert's rifle. Once ballistics showed it was a match, only then did Robert enter into a plea bargain. Robert pleaded guilty to the four homicides and provided details about his other victims in return for serving his sentence in a federal prison, along with no publicity in the press. Another condition of the plea bargain was his participation in deciphering the markings on his aviation map and locating his victims' bodies. Robert confirmed the police theory of how the women were abducted, adding that he would sometimes let a potential victim go if she convinced him that she would not report him to the police. He indicated that he began killing in the early 1970s. Robert showed investigators 17 grave sites. Really? 17. So he brought them to the 17. Yeah. In and around South Central Alaska, 12 of which were unknown to investigators. There remain marks on his map that Robert refused to give up, including three in Resurrection Bay near Seaward. Authorities suspect two of these marks belong to the graves of Mary Thale and Megan Emrick, whom Robert has denied killing. The remains of 12 of the probable 21 victims were exhumed by police and returned to their families. Robert Hansen was sentenced to 461 years plus life in prison without the possibility of parole. About time without the possibility of parole. Right. He got away with so much stuff yes. leading to this. Mm-hmm. So Robert Hansen died on August 21st, 2014 at the age of 75 at Alaska Regional Hospital in Anchorage due to natural causes. If you want to look at pictures and want more information on the cases we cover, you can head over to truecrimeweeklypodcast.com. And please don't forget to support the show by going to truecrimeweeklypodcast.com forward slash support the show. You can also follow us on Instagram at podcast true crime weekly. And I would truly love it and appreciate it if you would leave a five-star review and subscribe onto Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen. The only way that people find out about us is through subscribers and reviews. Thanks for listening.